Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome to The Tapping Go. My name is Matt. My name's Freddie. Each week we bring you your rugby fix with interviews with past and present rugby professionals and we get their views on the latest sporting issues. Morning ladies and gents, glad to be back with you again. It's me and Matt here. We are joined today by someone with over 250 premiership caps who went on three Lions tours and was of course part of that 2003 winning Rugby World Cup squad. It's of course Will Greenwood. Thank you for joining us. So obviously the premiership's restarted in recent weeks. How have you found that as a, watching on? Uh, really enjoyed it, man. It's um, the Super Rugby HRO, the New Zealand stuff, is obviously special, which started three or four weeks in advance and had crowds. I know they've gone back into lockdown in the North East South game last week, wasn't that was special, and it sort of wet the appetite for us to get back out on the field. I've really enjoyed uh, on occasion coming back in from work or back in from, I came back in from training on Tuesday night. I trained at my local rugby club, Maidenhead, and flipped on the telly and there was Bristol playing. So, oh, that's a nice touch. So it's lovely. So we've been treated to some midweek games as well. Um, so that's the, the huge positives. Uh, Premiership have got together, sorted their, sorted their COVID policy out, got players back out on the field. Uh, no positive tests have been, or very few positive tests have been coming through. Um, the content has been strong. The one caveat uh, would be that we sort of have a breakaway premiership. So in, there was a time when we weren't sure about the top six. We certainly know who top five are now, and it's a scrap for sixth place. Uh, it just meant. That, I mean, Leicester, Worcester actually have tried. Um, and, and Irish have had a go. But some of the scores have been really skewed. You, you know, just this last midweek section, there were five bonus point wins. It just doesn't normally happen. So I understand health and safety. You're only allowed to play 180 minutes in a three-game block if it's three games within a week. There needs to be a huge amount of rotation. Um, it's um, my sort of concluding point there would be great quality loved having it back out there uh, but I wouldn't want this to be the norm because after a while watching a team win by 47 points every every time you turn the telly on isn't a great deal of fun we recently saw Ernie Farrell's tackle on Charlie Atkinson which resulted uh-huh. in, in a five game ban what, what were your thoughts on this? So, really interesting, this one. I mean, it's opened up 
so many topics of debate. There was a really interesting article from Austin Healy in the Telegraph yesterday. And yesterday, for those who aren't, uh, who are listening on to the pod in about a week's time, yesterday was the 10th of September, uh, sort of four or five days after Owen had, had, had made the tackle. And he was going, it sort of highlighted uh, some fault lines in the disciplinary process. Why, to use his words, I think, why have you helped an old granny across the road last week? Do you have mitigating circumstances towards your your band length? A high tackle is a high tackle. Why is Eddie Jones writing the reference? Of course, he's going to write a good reference. You guys get good references from your schools before you go to Brown or before you go to Exeter. You'd rather hope your tutor isn't going to say, Fred is an absolute numpty. I wouldn't take him unless he was the last bloke on earth. Um, so you're going to get skews there. Um, what is fair about the system is just because Owen is perceived to be a regular high tackler, he's never been sent off before. And I think he may have had sort of one yellow card. So you can't have a perception that he tackles high. So that's outside the arena of his actual decapitation of Charlie Atkinson. I mean, it was, I think, clumsy at best would be the best way to describe it. Um, I don't need to go through the minutiae of how he got to five games. It should have been 10 weeks, but because of COVID, there's three games in a week. You cut it down to five weeks, but actually five weeks is more than five games. The key is, he's missing for the European quarters against Leinster. He'll miss the semis if they win but he would be back for the European final back end uh, of October and more importantly for England, which is why Eddie Jones probably wrote him a reference, is he'll be back for the Barbarians game, which he probably wouldn't play in, but in England, Italy and the festival of rugby that's taking place at Trickenham. I think he's fortunate enough to... I, I think he's fortunate enough... I think he is fortunate to get five games and I agree with Austin you've got to view the tackle independently of your charity work yeah I think that's pretty quite a common view as well so obviously you mentioned the Barbarians game there coming up in the late autumn obviously Charlie Atkinson is probably a few years away still but he's such a promising young talent do you think there are any other young talents who deserve potentially knocking on the door of England David? oh yeah yes yeah, I was picking a team yesterday. Uh, a team of kids that could... That the back line could be Varney at Gloucester, Umanga from Wasps, 9-10 combo. Um, you could throw in Ben Loder, old Wellington boy at London Irish. You could have uh, Cameron Redpath, Sebalad at 12. You have Ollie Lawrence at 13. Um, you could throw in Josh Hodge, at fullback, and I've forgotten my extra wing, my young kid of a wing. Um, down there, but that's that, that gives you an idea. You could have a back row of Alfie Barberi, who I think was a Bloxham, I think it's Bloxham, Bloxham boy. He would play, he would play as hooker, which is his normal position. You could have Jack and Tom Willis, Ben Curry's still a kid, Donald from London Irish. Um, you get, I hope you're getting the idea. There's a whole hat full of uncapped. 20 to 21 year olds who would be outstanding. I mean, it would be great to have a, 
like a north v south of possibles v probables, which is what we used to do in the old days. Uh, or you could have an over 25s v under 25s and, and see how you get on. Where you struggle a little bit with that is props and second rows tend to mature a little bit later, tend to fill out, tend to get that, that farmer's strength with age and endurance, whereas the fast twitch um, fibers, the sprinters, uh, come through a little faster. Mm-hmm. And I guess on that international front, um, England are at the pole position, the Six Nations at the moment. Can you see anyone sort of overtaking them? Yeah, uh, so France beat us and then blew it late on. The brilliant Antoine Dupont kicked the ball off early thinking time was up. It wasn't. England got a penalty and kicked the bonus point. And at the time, I said, said to a couple of mates, not many people listen to me when I'm talking about it. I said to a couple of mates, I said, that'll cost France the championship. And uh, their inability to, to, to deny bonus points or gather bonus points. So when they went to Scotland and were awful and had that sending off, I think it was Mohamed Amous um, or Awas, um, they, they didn't come away with anything. They folded a little bit. I know they've got a new coaching regime, Fabian Gaultier and Cohen. Rafael Benez is the manager uh, and Sean Edwards is involved in defence. They just coughed up and got nothing from that game. So weirdly enough, England will get five points against Italy. I haven't got the table in front of them, which I think puts them in the box seat. The danger, weirdly enough, is uh, is Ireland. Because England are on 13 points, so can only get to 18. I know that. I can't remember what France... I think France are on 12 or might be 13, but, but can't get to 19. The only team that actually just on the rails that can get to 19 and Leinster are flying, Munster are good, the, the Pro 14 final is Leinster, Ulster, is, is Ireland. And they will beat Italy and get five points and go to 14. So they'll go into round five, which I think is in, is it on Halloween, is it October 31st? Or I think it might be then. Uh, it's, by the way, it's Halloween, October 31st. I was listening to Capital FM yesterday, yeah. or is it November the 1st? It is October 31st. October 31st. Yes. You know, Capital, give me the cash. They normally give really, really easy questions. You've got to text in which month is Halloween in. And I was driving and I went, it's October. And I went, oh no, wait a minute. Is it November? So anyway, I'm glad I came on the podcast. Um, so Fra- Ireland go to France and actually go with the title. With They're driving the bus themselves because they know no matter what England do, if they beat France with a bonus point in Paris, which you'd say two or three years ago was eminently doable. You'd say now with Rafa and Fabien and, and Sean and the team they've got, uh, players like Dupont and hopefully Vakatawa will play. Um, it was the young 10, Emile's boy, Roman. Uh, I love the captain. I've forgotten his name, the back row forward. Uh, you'd say it's, it's, Probably unlikely they will, which you, which comes back to a very short answer, that England are in control of the Six Nations, but would probably be the bookies' favourites. Mm. And then looking forward to the Rugby World Cup in 2023 as well, do you think there's any particular positions or areas of weakness in England's squad which they need to fill out for 2023? Yeah, I mean, I think, it, I think it's less about positions and more about 
skill set. If you watch the North East South, I know a couple of my old mates. I was lucky enough to to play in a team that beat New Zealand in New Zealand and beat New Zealand at home. Um, in fact, I was looking to be in a team that beat everyone everywhere. But that's probably less to do with me and more to do with Martin Johnson, Johnny Wilkerson, and Jason Robinson. I was just, I was a very good water boy um, and a very good card player and uh, entertained. Anyway, so what was I talking about? Skill set you watch in the North-South and their ability to go down a 5, 10, 15 metre channel without being too technical. And numbers one, two, three, four, five, pick it up off their toes, basketball pass, over the toe, alley-oops, round the backs. You know, I'm exaggerating slightly, but um, some of their front five could play in the centres. England at times, if you remove Mako, Jamie George, Cameron Dickey, you know, he's uber powerful. He's scoring a hat full of tries. I've not got him as a baller. Uh, uh, he, he's tough. And then Ellis Genge, he's learned. Sinclair plays. Yeah. So I'm just going to say, it, it's, you, you could end up on the field at one stage with five lads in your front five who don't really play, which is sort of what happened in the World Cup final. Once Sinclair went off, you ended up, uh, and Mako went off. So when you were chasing the game, you had a front five that when you weren't able to smash the door in, which is England's preferred modus operandi, just dominate the game line and then off it you play. That's why we beat New Zealand in the semi-final. Just absolutely duff a team up and then you know, play out the back from there, which is great. If you stop England on the game line, their biggest Achilles heel is what is plan B or C. Um, and it's what you would say would be South Africa's problem, but their plan A was so bloody good, they smothered us. And then Mapimpi and Am and Cheslin really just finished it off. Vermeulen and co. crushed us. And the supercharged flyers made the scoreline look pretty. Mm, so, yeah, so would you say that sort of this one-dimensional aspect is really what made England? Uh, yeah, so I think, so Matt, I would say that's very harsh as an Eton lad who's going to Brown, who's got a very uh, balanced view on things. I don't quite think I said England were one-dimensional. I think I would like to say that, that was Matt, those were Matt Mitchell's words who uh, would like to tell Eddie Jones that he thinks England are one-dimensional. I think to be the very best in the world and to go into France 2023 as the favourites, they have to show a little more. I think if you had the top trump card, do you kids play top trumps? When we're kids, not anymore. Yeah, but, but I just played top trumps last night with my, my 11-year-old. And so if you were looking at superpowers and you said strength, England, man, they'd be 95. I mean... You might have Springboks at 96. If you had pace across the team, England would be 90. A lot of teams, very sharp pace, and it would depends where, um, who you had up against you there. You'd probably say the sharp France would be super sharp. The All Blacks are always rapid, especially if you think about the speed of their back row. Um, and then if you went, let's say, let's call the other superpower handling ability, 
I think across the board, England might come in with a sort of 82-83, which would be good enough to beat five or six top-level nations, but maybe on the wrong day get turned over by another side. So hopefully that removes those horrible words which become headlines, England are one-dimensional, from my lips and moved on to Matt Mitchell's lips. And I've given a slightly more nuanced, balanced opinion where England are. So looking forward to 2023, who are you backing? Uh, that's a great question. I, I hesitate, you know, no one likes anyone who blows their, as my friend says, I mean, this is such a dad thing to do. Uh, no one likes anyone who blows their own trumpet, but toot toot, I picked South Africa to beat England in the final well before uh, the World Cup last time. So I had a pretty good turnaround there. Uh, all my friends will be shouting, but what about the bet you got horribly wrong? The Anyway, shh, only good gamblers only tell people about their winning bets. Um, I like France at home. And, and part of that is muscle memory, muscle, muscle pain. Uh, they're the only country I never beat away from home. I lost in Paris three times by a point. So played three, lost three, points difference. Actually, I'll tell a lie, one, one and two. Points difference, minus four over three games, and I've lost all three of them. So I know how difficult. They went through a patch then post 05, 06, where they couldn't beat an egg in Paris, never mind beat a rugby team. And um, anyone could beat them in Paris. I think they're getting back to that stage now where they'll be... Lethal, you know, if Teddy Thomas behaves himself and stays out on the park, and you've got him and Bakatawa. Uh, I mentioned the guys Dupont, I think um, they've got a front five who handle well. I'm really looking forward to the quarter final between Claremont and Racing 92. Toulouse aren't even, yes, Toulouse are at home to Ulster. They've got three French teams. Uh, I think there'd be a reasonable hedge now away from your obvious New Zealand bet that most people would go down because they just produce extraordinary teams every year. Are there any sort of underdog teams that you think could put pressure on France that we wouldn't expect at this moment? Well, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, the obvious one for me is eventually, surely Ireland are going to get past the quarterfinal. I mean, it's unbelievable to think the World Cup started in 1987. They've had, I mean, superstar players, haven't they? Maybe not in the early 90s. Yeah, 90s. I mean, the Lions in 97 had Keith Wood, Paul Wallace, Jeremy Davidson, Eric Miller. You know, there was a hatful of the pack that beat the world champions in 90s. So, and then Brian's group with Paul O'Connell just... 07 for France was just a bad time for them. Nearly got beaten by Georgia in Bordeaux. I was at that game. Just really struggled. Um, the one they'll rue is 11 when they got beat by Wales. In, I think got beat by Wales in the quarterfinal. Um, so I sort of feel Ireland at some stage will do something if you think how good Lancaster and Leo Cullen are doing with, with Leinster. Yeah. Other than that, 
the reality is England have won it once and three other nations have won it, the rest of them. And Australia, I don't think, are going to do it again. So it, it's tough to look beyond New Zealand and South Africa. But if push comes to shove, I think no question England, uh, no question France would be in the mix. And my obvious four semi-finalists picking it now would be France, England, South Africa, New Zealand. Which means Ireland haven't done it again, which is an extraordinary <laughs> thing. I'm on my Tom Curry uh, shake, by the way. I'm not quite. He has six. He has six eggs. Well, that's quite. Uh, I go with two. Um, I can't do six. I'm too old to have six eggs. I'm not Rocky. <laughs> and obviously, one position which England probably needs to be looking in the, towards the future for is Ben Youngs won't make it to 2023 as scrum half. Who can you see taking the nine shot? I was interested that. Uh, Ben, he only took, Eddie only took two scrum halves to the World Cup. It, it worked all right. Willie Hines was the second choice one. Um, if you're watching now and you're seeing Faf, De Klerk, TJ Perinara, uh, less so Aaron Smith, um, certainly Tomas Williams or Gareth Davis of, of, of Wales. You're looking at Cooney of Ulster who may push Conor Murray close Ireland. Antoine Dupont. Okay, I'll ask you the rugby question. What am I naming there? Quick scrum halves. People were sniping around. Yeah, runners, sharp. Uh, when Ben Youngs first came onto the scene, his first game, I think, for Leicester, they had a game, they had a game against South Africa and I was commentating on it umpteen years ago. And he burst around the back of the line out from 50 yards, 50 metres, sorry. You don't, you probably don't talk in yards. Um, 50 metres and gassed everyone and has had a real gas. He's changed his game a little bit more. He's more of a kicker, controller, sits in the chariot, rides the, the chariot, which is that massive image pack. The question mark is, can he still out the blocks go? Because that seems to be um, the way forward. So he's going to come under pressure especially the way Leicester are playing. I mean, it's difficult to know you can pick him for this. He's getting, he would get picked this October because he's got credit in the bank with Eddie. It's a bit like the back end of Ian Bell's cricket career. He's sort of picking him because he's got a hundred tests and he's in it, but he's under pressure. Uh, ben Spencer's playing great, but um, Eddie took Willie Hines in front of him. Uh, Dan Robson's, playing outstandingly well. I don't think Harry Randall's there yet. Don't think the kid Varney is there yet. Um, you're probably, I'm probably missing someone. Maundra extra again? No. So, I mean, personally, I'd, I'd be giving Spencer a run out. I mean, he hasn't single-handedly changed Bath. Uh, but he's part of the reason why Bath are going on a charge. Um, at the moment makes sense so I guess talking about your playing career so you had that moment well, where wait, Matt what's behind the curtain or is it just the window big reveal hasn't been done before it's just oh, it's a just window, window. alright okay <laughs> right, I didn't know if that was a cupboard or something uh, 
Uh, so talking about your career as a player, so there was that one scary moment where you had um, you stopped breathing for a second. Um, what what sort of ran through your mind there, and how did that impact your sort of playing career? Not a second, uh, it was seventeen oh, sorry. minutes. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah but you can sort of change seventeen minutes into one second. Although I didn't stop breathing, for, I was unconscious for seventeen. Um, the amazing thing is, right? If you don't remember anything, you got nothing to be scared of. So actually, I mean, I had three days of my life disappeared. I, uh, I was one second I was playing. And I was playing in Bloemfontein. And the next second I wake up and I'm in Durban and it's three days later. And I'm watching Jerry drop a goal of a winning alliance series. So actually, the harder things I came back from were my shoulder. I'd, whilst I was playing, I had five shoulder reconstructions. They're the harder ones because you know what it feels like. You know the bad body positions you get yourself into for them to happen. And you, it takes a little bit of time to get over those and throw yourself back into the physical side. The actual head knock I had, Weist makes a good story and, 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 and grabs headlines when people thought you died on a rugby field. And it would be inappropriate, not if that's the wrong word, it would be, you guys are Eton boys, so tell me what the word should be is if I'm gathering plaudits of being tough, but in reality I shouldn't be. What am I doing there? Well, put it pretty well. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sort of accepting, I can't take the credit for, my point is I can't take credit for being, what a tough guy, died in a rubbish, because I don't remember anything about it. If you don't remember anything about it, then... Putting off a bit of a false front. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think I've always been pretty... I think maybe in the early years, I was like, yeah, I'm a tough guy. I came back. And then I look back at it and go, had nothing to do with being tough because I remember absolutely nothing about it. I was dating my now wife at the time. And she was back in Leicester. And... I spoke to her the following morning. I think I got injured. I think it was a Tuesday night. Following morning, Thursday, Friday. Spoke to her Saturday. I think I said, well, I, I was now lucid. Is that the right word, lucid? I was now yeah. thinking clearly. And I said, I'm so sorry, I haven't been in touch. And she goes, what are you talking about? We spoke for an hour every day. I was like, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's the level of blankness the only other time i've ever had that was on a stag doing benedorm um with for martin johnson but that was for totally other inappropriate reasons and everyone should always drink responsibly mm. so one thing i found interesting reading about that was that was one of the few times in your career where you lined up with the number 12 jerseys not the number 13 yeah you, you could talk us through that superstition yeah i thought when you started that question i thought i've been reading about that i was like who's been telling you about benedorm <laughs> <laughs> ben Kay mentioned Benidorm uh, and his Sunday Times magazine just quickly there and it, in the old days I'll come back to the question the club champions which were Leicester at the time you played the Barbarians as the end of season game at Twickenham and uh, we came back from Benidorm on the Saturday night we had four days there we, Sunday morning we're in the tunnel at Twickenham and normally when you're in the tunnel playing against the Barbarians you look over at the Barbarians and you go 
what the heck have you been up to, right? So you can imagine when a Barbarians team, who, you, who, who have also been up to having an enjoyable time in London, look at us and go, what the heck, what the heck have you been up to? We went 7-0 up, right? Leicester did against the Barbarians. 7-0 up, running on fumes. And we lost 91-7. Uh, and they banned the game. They thought it was inappropriate. The club champions shouldn't, not strong enough to play the Barbarians. It had nothing to do with that. It had nothing to do with not being good enough. We were still in Benidorm. Um, so the number 12 thing is, again, showing age. Can you, here's a quiz for you. Can you remember anything quirky about two clubs in particular and what was on the back of their shirts in the amateur days? Not fair. Leicester Tigers. What did they have on the back of their shirts? They had letters, not numbers. So uh, the front row were the ABC club. Roundtree, Gockrell, Garforth. I was letter M at Leicester. So they had letters, which was great. Bath did not have the number 13. They were numbered 1 to 16. Their fullback was 16, and their centres, De Glanville and Guska, the most obvious two, were 12 and 14. So, my early England career was with De Glanville and Guskett at different times in different games. Neither of them would wear the 13 jersey. So, I wore the 13 jersey. Once you've got an England shirt, it's sort of out of your dead grasp for someone take it. So as I became 10 cap or 15 cap player, even though I was an inside centre more often than not, although I could get tricky and say when I played with cap, I was, I was actually outside centre. When I played with Tyndall, I was inside centre. Um, I just got used to wearing that 13 jersey. That's There's nothing more sinister than that. Makes sense. So I think one of the funniest stories in um, world rugby is uh, when Sir Clive was going through his team in 1999 and I think England were going to play New Zealand mm. and he compares each player with the opposition and says, I'd rather have my player than them. And it came to Austin Healy and then you said, with all due respect, I think I'd rather have Jonah Lomu than um, Austin. Could you sort of talk about your relationship with Clive and, sort of, uh, and the team and sort of, I guess, what prompted you to make that comment? Yeah, I think in those days... Um... Uh, so technically speaking, I think it was Jason Leonard who oh. said it. But I think Clive would go, if, if he said that, Jason would have him. Whereas he knows, he can, he can pin everything on me. And uh, Montgomery Burns here isn't going to come uh, looking for retribution. Um, yeah, it was... I think it, it sort of showed, really, that story. It showed the evolution of that side, that in a joking fashion, but every sort of, you know, sarcasm is the lowest form of wit. Um, in every throwaway line, there might be a subcontext, which suggests at, at this stage, I mean, even 30 years later, we'd still swap Austin for Jonah, by the way. I mean, I love Oz. Um, but it just showed that you were thinking about who the opposition had r rather than looking around your change room going, oh my God, we'll never lose a game. Look who's over there. 
And then by the time 03 came round, you know, Ben Cohen's the greatest winner I ever played with. People are like, what are you talking about? People don't even remember who Ben Cohen is. I mean, honestly, what a player. And then you got me on Josh Lucy, who won everything. I've not even mentioned Jason Robinson, who, by the way, was redonkulously good. And I go through it like that. And the article I wrote after the World Cup this time created some debate uh, and it was a sort of lead. It wasn't clickbait question or statement, but my view was not one player from the 2019 World Cup would get in the 2003 World Cup team. People are like, what are you talking about? Look at, look at Billy and look at Marrow. I'm going, yeah, right. But ask, ask this lot, ask the 2019 lot the same question. And they would go, not one player from 2003 would get in our team. And you'd be like, what are you talking about? you got Johnny Wilkinson, you got Martin Johnson, you've got to have Martin Osborne Johnson, you've got to have, you know, you've got to have them. And it's actually not about the skill level. It's about the history, the fabric of your team, the, the growth, uh, the defeats, the, the, the victories, the family, the off-field stuff that you go through is way more, way more important. So um, to go back to the, the question, the relationship, Clive gave me my first cap and he took me on a Lance tour in 05 and mm, dubious but um, I was delighted to accept uh, actually the midweek team were alright in amongst the car crash that went <laughs> on the Saturdays um, amazing relationship with him uh, looked after us treated us like adults uh, dragged rugby into the 21st century allowed me to be the best version of myself didn't pick me for what didn't pick me and lambast me and shout at me for what I couldn't do. Told the coaches to polish and help me the areas that I couldn't play. But then said, but I'm picking you to do this. And I don't want you to ever stop doing what you do, which is to play heads up, to not worry about whether it's 79 minutes or one minute on the clock, to not worry about what the scoreboard says, just to play the defensive setup you see in front of you with the cards you've got, i.e. the players around you. Because if it's on, it's on. It doesn't matter who you're playing against or what score it is. And that's, that was the great joy of being in that, that team. Yeah, well, Will, thank you very much. Just quickly before we end, we've got one question which we've asked every single one of our guests since the start. Give me a clue who your other guests have been, Freddie. Uh, some of our other guests, so we've had Jamie Heaslip, Ugo Monnier, oh. we've had Sir Clive, who you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, to name a few. But so we asked them what their favourite moment in their career was. So we were wondering what yours was. Uh, my mum would say winning the Maltz under 11 sevens. Huge. Also as a nine year old, uh, scored a hat trick. She said I should have walked from the pitch there and then. Um, I'm going to go Durham University. We won away in Cardiff with a pub team, Cardiff Uni. We won a pub team in 1992 and the eight-hour bus trip back to Durham, having beaten Cardiff, uh, is probably the greatest 10 hours of my life. The two-hour game and the eight-hour bus trip. Uh, special time. They're all still my best friends. My best friends have come from my uni stuff. Um, and I've always played that it doesn't matter whether it's a World Cup. I mean, last year, 
Maidenhead, we were 20 points down to Exmouth. We came back and won by 40. And that's like a division three, national three. Uh, you know what? I just, I love the, I love, I love sport. I love the game. I love playing. I love competing. Uh, but Durham. Thank you. Durham was the best. Well, Will, thank you very much for taking time out to come on our podcast. It was fascinating to hear about your thoughts and opinions on rugby at the moment and where you see rugby going in the future. And I guess hearing the stories of when you were playing, which were equally as good. So thank you very much. No, my absolute pleasure. And uh, Freddie, go crush Exeter. Matt, kill it at Browns. Um, I, I cannot speak highly enough for my three years at Durham. I failed to get into Cambridge. It was the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> And um, you, you'll you'll smash it. So look out for uh, Austin Healy because he's just dropped his daughter off uh, <laughs> today, and maybe you can get him on the pod, and, and he can tell he can speak even more rubbish about me again. Perfect. Well, thank Thanks you so much. much. Pleasure, guys. Take it easy. Sports Social Podcast Network.